welcome once again to In the Growth Space, where we discover new ways to grow our business, our teams, and ourselves. I'm your host and growth coach, David McGlennon, and I'm really glad you're here once again. Today, we're going to explore some foundations of growth in the area of emotional intelligence. If you're an Emerging Leader Inner Circle member, you're going to remember today's guest from our inaugural summit because she was our leadoff speaker at that event, and she was fabulous. For those of you who aren't ELIC members and weren't at that event, Teresa Quinlan is a certified coach and EQI 2.0 practitioner. Teresa's building emotionally intelligent organizations through executive coaching, leadership development programs, and speaking and consulting. She's spent 25 years cultivating a rich and diverse set of skills, facilitating leadership learning and presenting to all sizes of groups. Her passion is focused on creating thought-provoking experiences that go beyond the moment and instead stay with the individual for days as they contemplate the moments that made them laugh and the moments that led to the ahas (laughs) and also the moments that triggered Uh, the opportunities challenging the status quo. She is a leader that always inspires me with our conversations, and I have to tell you that this one is no different. You're going to hear her journey of achievement and how she then continues to expand her own comfort zone, as well as how business leaders can and should use emotional intelligence as the foundation for company growth. Now, this episode is sponsored by the Emerging Leader Inner Circles, which gives leaders the opportunity to explore growth in a safe space. Contact us at admin at davidmcglennon.com to find out how your company can grow through this program. Now, here's my conversation with Teresa Quinlan. Hey, Teresa. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here uh, in the growth space with me and chatting. I know we've already started the party here uh, before we hit record, but uh, we're going to have so much fun today. And I'm really excited for people to, to hear you and just to, to understand a little bit more about you. And I know that, you know, as probably a lot of people who have, uh, who tune in, uh, may know you from, you know, uh, your emotional intelligence work, but um, there's so much more to you and to your, your journey than just emotional intelligence. So I'd love to like, let's just talk about your own growth journey. Tell, tell us a little bit about your own growth journey. All of the train stations along the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. There's, there's a lot of them when you look back and well, first of all, thanks for having me, David. I know absolutely. For all the times that we've been together, there's, there's never been a like, oh, that, that was really boring. We always have a good time together. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So when we look back on our lives and say, well, what what were all the train stations that I had to stop at, stopped at, were afforded as opportunities for me to give a try so that I could evolve into the next version of who I am, there's going to be a lot of them. I think it's just very infrequently that we stop to look back at all of those things and perhaps integrate them into where I am now. What did I mm-hmm. learn about myself then that uh, I continue to take forward with me now? That's, I think, yeah. how our past serves us the best. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So from a young age, both of my parents worked and I'm one of four kids. 
And so that meant we were in a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And everything from athletics, like gymnastics and swimming, dance for my other sisters. I, I was not the dancing kind, <laughs> at least not, you know, in that structured way. Right, sure. To basketball, volleyball, track and field when you get into high school. And I played baseball, but then there was also piano lessons, singing, public ah. speaking. So mm -hmm. the arts side of things as well. And then a tremendous focus on our academics. Uh, okay. My father was the quiet encourager behind our academics and our other extracurricular activities. My mother was the commander of those <laughs> things. So she would have been our type A achiever, push the limits of your capabilities, strive for perfection, for lack of a better word, strive mm -hmm. for 100%, try things that are uncomfortable, even though they're uncomfortable, you're going to do them, you don't have a choice, this mm. will serve you at some point in your life. Yeah. And while it was hard lessons, when you're young, and difficult to manage when you're young, as an adult, or as I got older, not just as an adult, through my teen years, through my young adulthood, now in my late 40s, all of those things have served me very well. Yeah. Perhaps more so every time she would ask for more. Uh, every time my mother would say, okay, you got 98, good job. How come not 100? What hmm. could you do more for 100? Okay, so you're nervous to go practice, uh, to play the piano at the recital. Why are you so nervous? Did you not practice enough? Have you not prepared enough? Do you not feel confident enough in your capabilities? Like, mm -hmm. where's the missing gap? So if you're uncomfortable, it's a signal that you have a gap to close, huh. which was a tremendous lesson in our that's, youth. That's now, I'm, I'm phrasing it in a very emotionally intelligent way. Back right. then, that's not what it sounded like from my right. mother's mouth, nor is that what it sounded like on my ears. Yes, I was <laughs> just going to ask you, like, how did you how did you receive that as a kid? Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I was just like, I don't like, I don't want, okay, I'm going to go play the piano. Oh my God, my hands are shaking so much. I'm, my, my full body is in convulsions of nervousness right now. And I have to go sit at a piano and be calm and cool and collected and keep tempo and pace. And I can't do that mm -hmm. with my knees falling out underneath my body right now <laughs> yeah, and being yeah. able to manage that level of discomfort from a young right. age learning how to manage that level of discomfort all the way into like my early 20s when I was like I want to run my first marathon what, what is yeah. that going to be like and, and yeah. now I want to qualify for Boston now what is that going to be like to mm -hmm. my education of kinesiology and becoming a kinesiologist then moving into the world of personal training because I started to work at a gym then yeah. into sales which was a very big departure from anything I had done beforehand yeah. then into management which I had done throughout like high school being team captain and in leadership courses and all of that mm -hmm. then I went back to school to get my certificate in adult learning and e-learning so I could lead a learning and development department and then okay, arriving right. in the space of entrepreneurship and yeah, yeah, the yeah. mess that all of that is, <laughs> plus right. the reward that all of that is as well. Yeah. So a lot of active cultivation of failure, a lot of yeah. actively cultivating inefficiency, actively mm, moving out of safety, like recognizing when you've been too comfortable for too long. Uh-huh 
and setting up the stage to get uncomfortable. Yeah, that's what I matter of fact, I was going to uh, when, when I was listening to you talk about that journey, that was the one thing that I, I it was it was either if it was forced on you by your your right. mom or you doing it on your own, it, it almost became a pattern, right? It was a pattern of leaving safety towards something that you wanted and you had to endure that discomfort. I call that the growth space, but that's that area of I'm pushing into something, some unknown that I've never done before. I mean, I'm assuming you never, the first time you did a piano recital, you had never done that before. And, right. you know, you were, I'm sure, I, I mean, I, I can't say for sure what you, you were thinking, but, you know, you were wondering, am I going to do okay? I'm, I'm nervous about other people watching me. All of those things that as a young person, we still get, that, that still gets translated into our adult world as, I mean, I, I work with leaders all the time who, when we're talking about speaking, I mean, mm -hmm. you mentioned speaking mm -hmm. and, and that's a big growth area for a lot of people because that's same idea. You know, they feel like they may be being judged or people being looked at, at them wanting to be adequate. And I, I guess pressing into that, um, is it was a pattern for you. It just seems like that to me, that's, that's, that's what I'm seeing anyway, and not necessarily a straight line to growth or straight right. line to your, to your achievement or whatever, whatever it was. No, I think if it's a straight line, I don't actually know if that's possible. I don't know when I think about other people, even my husband, my, my son, my sister, my siblings, my friends, the, it's very rare the line is straight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That we often look for cross-training opportunities. What can I learn from having now yeah. been a parent mm -hmm. that I apply to being a leader? Because yeah. it turns out there's a lot that is a very lot. similar between parenting and leadership and vice versa. Absolutely. What kind of parenting that I've learned as a leader? Yeah. I also think that this element from my from a young age of being judged, like intentionally being put in front of a judge, whether it's gymnastics competitions, uh -huh. public speaking competitions, piano, right. piano recital or competitions, like competitions, you're constantly yeah. being judged. Someone is constantly giving you feedback, telling you what you did well and absolutely telling you what you did not do well. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. How, how did you, so, that's, that's an interesting thing. So you, 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 there's like a, this gap there, you know, so it's like, okay, I'm, I'm here. And, and I was told that I, I, I made it to here, but I still have farther to go as a, as a young person, how did you like interpret that so that it kept pushing you on rather than making you feel defeated? Hmm. As a young person, yeah, a little more of the motivation was fear-based. Okay, yeah, sure. Fear because of the parental, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of letting down the parents and mm -hmm. the discipline that followed that. Sure, yeah. So yeah. trying to avoid that. There was a little bit of that fear-based motivation. Uh-huh. And a lot more of the motivation is that competition and striving fits my personality well mm -hmm. so I liked it 
I liked elements of pushing myself to see yeah. what am I capable of doing? Mm. I, I remember on occasion wrestling with, do I even want this or am I giving up? Yeah. Asking as I got a little bit older, like early teens, 13, 14, when a lot of the activities you've been in since seven, eight, nine, you're starting to consider, do I want to keep doing these kinds of things? Yeah because I'm interested in them or am I just doing them because my parents are making me do them and can I talk myself out of it? Also having other siblings who quit things and were allowed to quit when I wasn't allowed to. And part of that was because of expressed talent. And the other part I think was because my mother knew enough, my father knew enough that I was asking the question more to test than perhaps really meaning it. Uh And that if we let this one quit, she's just going to find something else. And it's easier to just keep her in what she's doing. <laughs> keep her, keep her on the path she's and in. Pay um, for other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and get right. her to do the other stuff as well. Yeah. So I think that questioning of like really asking ourselves, am I quitting because it's hard mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable or am I just not interested in this and I have to find something different? Okay, so we had a little bit of technology glitch here with our, our internet for some reason, um, but we're back uh, recording again. And so you were talking about, you know, just that questioning, uh, you know, is this something that you're really interested in or, or is it something that you just, you know, were kind of being forced to do? How, how did that, how did, as you got older and as you grew and matured, you know, you're, let's, you know, let's be honest, you're an achiever, you've, you know, I'm I'm looking at a lot of medals on the on your back wall there, you've done, you know, races, you're, you're an athlete. How did, how did that translate or move you into adulthood? And, and like, when it wasn't your parent, I guess that's what I'm asking, you know, when it wasn't your parent, how, how did you keep pushing and, and was it just, was it just programmed in you or I'm, I'm curious about like what your thoughts are on that? Well, that upbringing was certainly set the stage of yeah. being able to manage the emotional discomfort of growth, uh-huh. which is, I find is often way more difficult to manage than the intellectual discomfort of growth. hundred percent. How yeah. we intellectualize, okay, time to grow. And uh, someone gives us feedback and, it's very rare that it's our IQ that feels threatened <laughs> right, right. before it's our emotions come to the surface and we feel so uncomfortable in that emotional state yeah. that we would rather avoid at all costs, mm-hmm. whatever is leading us to this feeling. And so we yeah. do, we avoid it at all mm-hmm. costs. And yeah. so I think the training from a young age was that yeah. I got comfortable with the emotional discomfort associated with growth. And because I was comfortable with it, it was easy enough to keep pushing, knowing that each time I did was stacked proof that I survive 100% of my worst days. I'm still right. here, survived still all here. of them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I could do it. Like I know on the other end of this, it's not going to kill me. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, but I know how to manage that. Right. right. So just step in and enjoy the ride because behind (laughs) this uncomfortable emotion is going to be another one any second. And it might be a good one, might be a worse one, yeah, (laughs) yeah. an indifferent one. Who knows? It's just that they keep on changing. Mm. And a lot of that emotional discomfort is associated to what we believe about ourselves. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really fascinating. 
Wow. What would, so here's something that just kind of popped into my head as you were sharing that. If obviously you have, you, you, you have a personality, you, you mentioned it earlier, you know, this, that achievement kind of that, that pushing kind of fit your personality. If you weren't that kind of a personality, if you didn't have mm -hmm. that type of a personality, what would you say to that type of a person to help almost push themselves into that discomfort and, and that um, striving a little bit more just so that they could grow? How, how would you, like, what would be something you, what would, what advice would you give them? I would advise focusing on self-actualization. So in what do you mean by that? Tell me, yeah. Tell, yeah, talk about that. In emotional intelligence, it's our willingness to pursue things that are meaningful, personally relevant to us. Okay. In the space of consistent improvement. Okay. So let's say I enjoy painting. Mm -hmm. And so I paint as a hobby and I can paint to a certain level and degree. Now I could just stay status quo or I could take an art class and learn how to grow better or draw better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can um, put my paintings up for sale. Yeah. I can move from landscapes to people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this being something I know I already enjoy is how I tweak the dial to consistently stretch an area of my life that's meaningful to me and I make it more and more fulfilling by continuing to expand my skill set in it. Uh, like yeah. it's stretching for mastery and something I already enjoy. I don't all of a sudden have to go, I'm a painter. How can yeah. I stretch my comfort zone? I'm going to pick up something I hate. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I'm going to start running because people yeah. say that to me all the time. Like, how could you have been running for so many years? I'm like, well, uh, I love it. And that's yeah. an important part of it. <laughs> yes, that, yes. From 15, I was actively running as exercise. Yeah, wow. Before then, it was just part of play. Sure. So it's easy for me to keep doing it because I truly enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. But don't, like my husband asks me to, would you like to get like fat bikes for cycling? I'm like, no, I have zero interest <laughs> in, <that. laughs> in bike riding for exercise. I did a duathlon and like, I have to get on the bike to train for this. So yes. I did minimum requirements <laughs> to make sure I can make it because it wasn't something that I love. So I stretched yeah. my comfort zone in a zone that I didn't love. Mm -hmm. We'll set a limit of capacity on it because we are just not drawn to it. So we're missing mm -hmm. a lot of the elements that help us to persevere through the mm -hmm. discomfort. Yeah. And enjoyment yeah. is a big part of stepping into discomfort. We have to be willing to do it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's such a big um, awareness, I think, is it's having whatever that goal is or whatever that, that next version of, let's say, ourselves or our, our business or whatever, it has to be big enough and it has to be something that we enjoy or that we will enjoy for us to endure the discomfort, right? Yes. So, I mean, that would be my recommendation is if, yeah. if you're not naturally an achiever in that, mm -hmm. in that trying different things across a broad spectrum of enjoyment, mm -hmm. then just tweak the dial in the areas of life that you're already doing. That's a way of stepping into our discomfort a little bit more and yeah. growth in areas that's personally relevant to you.
Yeah, that's really, that's, that's good. That's great. If, if, so talk a little bit about in the realm of business for a moment, because so many, um, so many leaders and, and, and people in the workforce get stagnant and, and how, how do you keep from getting stagnant and, and what would your advice there be for people that are in work, you know, in their work, maybe they've been at, at their, their job for a number of years, or they've been in their industry for a number of years. What advice would you have for them to just kind of go to the next level and think about um, growing in that particular space? Well, when I think of business, I often think of rolling hills. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of, you know, individual growth. Because yep. as individuals in the company grow, it's obviously always going to be good for the bottom line. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but we can't put people in a position of constant growth. Correct. That's like biking uphill all the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. And yeah. we don't like that. We yeah. every single person has a limit to how much they can grow and be mm -hmm. pushed and challenged before. They need to come over the side of that hill and cruise, which is integration. Mm. So let me use what I've just learned for a little while and integrate it into all the other things that I know and can do. And this elevates me as a whole. So if we let everyone do this and we have a cycle within our company where everyone's now in a growth spurt and then we're in a cruising spurt and yeah. then let ourselves come through a valley of are we noticing from bottom line metrics or results are we noticing that growth spurt did it impact in the way we had aimed for it to impact mm -hmm. so first of all we got to be measuring <laughs> yes right we have to measure whatever it is we're asking change or growth for uh-huh and then when we see that we have a thumbs up, that was great. Or we have a thumbs down, we didn't actually get it. Then we, we have to go back and analyze, well, what worked, what didn't work before we head uphill again. Yeah. So we'll yeah. make those corrections. Mm -hmm. But I think oftentimes what happens in companies is we aren't on a rhythm together. We're on separate rhythms. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, learning and development, my team of people in learning and development, we're doing a book club and we're learning about this and we're expanding our skills here. And then six weeks after we're trying to cruise downhill and integrate, but the company does an initiative mm. for change and growth. And now have, they have to learn new software and they didn't get enough breathing space between requirements in growth and mm. learning. And so yeah. they're biking uphill over and over and over and over again without any time to integrate or cruise and evaluate the effectiveness of that before being asked to grow again. Boy, that's, that, that is, that, that's spectacular. I, I just, I love that analogy. And, and, and even in my own mind, I'm, I'm going back to experiences that I've had, you know, we've, we talked about this before we started recording, you know, a little bit of triathlon and, and even like in, in your running, you know, if you had to run uphill, all time. I mean, that would just, you, yeah, you'd implode, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to get off this bike. <laughs> I'm going to get off this run. I'm stopping. And, and I think that's so important. And, and I think the other thing that you said there that I think a lot of CEOs probably don't maybe understand is having everyone in alignment with their strategy. If, if we're all in alignment with our strategy, then that means we all need to be on this road together. 
And if the grade is going uphill, if we've got some challenge that we're working on, let's all go up it together and make sure that, you know, learning and development is in alignment with the strategy. Um, accounting is in alignment with the strategy, mm -hmm. you know, sales and marketing are so keeping all of the whole company in alignment so that we're rolling together and that we're climbing that hill together is so important. Um, I, I think that that's really for, for, for those listening. I, and, and if you're, if you're a leader, if you're a CEO, if you're a president, I think that that's probably really one of the keys to organizational growth yeah. is keeping everybody in alignment with that strategy. Wouldn't you, would you agree? Or do you have a different take on that, Teresa? No, a hundred percent. I would agree. And to maybe bring it home with an example, I operated under a VP who oversaw five departments under people and culture. A lot of companies will call it human resources as an umbrella, but you know, it was yeah. called people and culture. And that's also very yeah. popular. So you have like internal communications, HR or associate relations learning and development, recruitment. Uh -huh. um, and I cannot remember what the fifth department was. <laughs> That's okay. It escapes me at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were all called together as leaders of these departments for our strategy meeting. Okay. And our manager said, come prepared with your strategy. And I was like, I can come prepared with things I would like to do, but I don't know what your strategy, like I don't know what your strategy or the company strategy is yet. Yeah, right. And I have to operate in alignment with that. So until mm -hmm. you tell me what it is, mm -hmm. I can't really set mine in stone. And we arrived at this meeting without receiving anything yet. So I had sent that back under the initial request. I'm like, can I find out what the strategy for the company is going to be? That would be great. And there was no response. So I didn't get anything. So we show up at the strategy meeting and I reiterated it at the beginning. And my peers looked at me like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And I kept eye contact with my boss, who was my boss for about 16 years at this point. And I went, I asked you for this because how do you expect us to align to a strategy when we don't know what we're aligning to? Yeah, sure. And so what I might want for our department might not contribute at all to what we're aiming for as a company. Like we need to know these kinds of things. They are crucial to how we operate together. And when we don't have them, we operate in silos. And when we operate in silos, we are not as effective as when yeah. we operate as a whole. We aren't. Yeah, the proof sure. is there. Since yeah. I don't know how old Aristotle is, but he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said it very long ago, like the sum of the whole is better than any one of its given parts. It has mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, companies yeah. tend to work way too much in the silo environment and then scratch their heads as to why can't we hit our bottom line? Right, right. Yeah. And I think that that is a lot. Uh, I mean, I think that that's such a great um, awareness for senior leaders to be able to to be the one who is sharing the mm -hmm. vision, sharing the strategy so that then we can get people in alignment and then allowing the people across the teams to be able to help each other and to be able to strive towards go up that hill, you know, in your, in your analogy. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what component does, does emotional intelligence have in that growth of an organization and in that kind of spanning all of the, the silos and, and really helping 
an organization to align? What, like, how does that fit in? Because I know that that's, it, it's, it's something that you're passionate about. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how does that all fit into helping a company grow, helping individuals grow? But um, I don't know, what are your, you know, how do you, how do you see that? I see it like two directions. One is growth is often the outcome. Mm -hmm. So we ask people, we implemented change, which requires people to do things differently. So they have to learn. And after the learning is done, then we would see growth, Mm -hmm. growth and performance. And that's Mm -hmm. hopefully why we implemented the change in the first place. Yeah, right. But oftentimes we're like, we need to grow. We're saying we need to grow, but we don't do any of the growth elements first. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. we do is the change stuff first and then hope that people grow so mm. that why we changed actually does improve what we were doing before. Mm. So when we think emotional intelligence, it's a foundation for yeah. any sort of growth to be able to happen because initially the discomfort of growth means we have to manage some sort of emotional state. And, you know, most of the time when we're in forced growth, it's a fear-based emotion, yeah. not a love-based right. emotion. When I'm in, when I'm choosing that I want to grow, that's love-based. Yeah, <laughs> so right. I feel good. I'm excited. I get to pick. Yeah. When, when it's forced change in the company, it's not, it's outside of my control. Those are fear-based emotions that show up and fear-based emotions get us stuck in mud. Yeah. And when we're stuck in mud, our intellect does not work very well. So we don't right. make good decisions about our self-care. We don't make good decisions in interrupting other people when they're speaking. We don't make good decisions in how am I going to tackle this task or project or to-do list How am I prioritizing and delegating? We just don't do things really well because we're operating from a state of fear compared to a state of love. And those, we know when we've been in those emotions and we can probably all think about a time when we operated out of each of them and went, oh yeah, my brain worked a lot better in those love-based emotions than those fear-based ones. Right. So team-wise, organizationally-wise, it's so much better if we seek alignment, commitment to change, Mm. offer opportunities for personal growth, Mm -hmm. and then announce the change we're making. That's good. So, so getting people to a place where they're already kind of growing and they're already experiencing some of that uh, emotion or uh, understanding of, of themselves and then, and then push the change. Mm -hmm. So now the second way that I look at it is individual contributors have to be responsible for their own self-actualization, like their own growth. So my organization might be offering a bunch of different things. My leader for our team might be offering a bunch of different things for me to grow and develop. What am I doing to grow and develop myself? How am I personally responsible for putting myself in that zone of discomfort to grow my skills and my talents? I mean, I chose to be here in this job. I probably should be investing time into doing it well. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and and that's, and that takes an an initiation, right? It takes somebody being, taking the initiative to to do that. And um, yeah, that's. And if I don't love my job, David, yeah. I won't. Right. So if I'm right. in a job that is not meaningful and personally relevant to me, 
then the chances that I'm operating out of fear are a lot higher than the chances I'm operating out of love. So my self-actualization skill set and emotional intelligence of actively pursuing my own growth and development will be relatively small. Small. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Well, and I think that, you know, as we, as we think about um, people in organizations, not being engaged, you know, being fully involved in the organization, I think that's a part of it. Don't you? I mean, I think that when, when we have people who are self-actualizing, who are invested in the organization, who believe in the mission, um, they're gonna they're gonna want to grow. They're gonna want to be there. Number one, but number two, I, I think that um, it 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 also is gonna help that organization to grow towards their mission faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Grow towards their mission faster. And sometimes time is money. Yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, going back to just like the basis of emotional intelligence, because I know that, I know that there are a lot of people and probably some companies that hear that and they think, well, gosh, where do I start? And what's the, what's the component that kind of gets me on that journey of, of increasing my emotional intelligence and, and really growing in that area? Because I, I think that for a few years now, I think that that's been kind of a buzzword and there's probably some perceptions of what it is, but how do organizations really take the emotional intelligence and really put it into their own growth plan and and maybe, you know, helping them to align themselves with, with their mission. First, it comes down to identifying the pain points. So when we look at behaviors in our organization, that's the end point we're starting Mm -hmm. from. And many organizations will be able to identify the pain points in behaviors. So perhaps we have individuals who are toxic to our culture. We label them as toxic. And what does that mean? So behaviorally, it could be individuals who interrupt in meetings, who bully, Mm -hmm. who withhold or sabotage intentionally other people's success. Mm -hmm. But it's also those people who are quiet, that don't share that don't speak up, that don't challenge the status quo. Yeah, They're like hiding behind the curtain. So they're not really contributing. Mm-hmm. So our toxic behaviors are both quiet in their nature and aggressive in their nature. Mm-hmm. Even things like we've noticed our company, our people are not very resilient. They haven't been able to recover from a change we made, like working from home. Productivity Mm -hmm. hasn't gone up. Efficiency, effectiveness hasn't gone up. So Mm -hmm. we lack in resiliency. So we notice as far as our companies, they will describe these kinds of end results here. Like that is all emotional intelligence at its foundation. It's people Uh are not capable of managing the emotional state that they're in or getting to the state they need to be in in order to execute the task at hand. Mm -hmm. So I might be disheartened, stressed or anxious because my kid is now at home. Yeah. So my child's at home and they're young and they might be a little bit disruptive. And so I'm constantly in this state of anxiety that they might interrupt a very important meeting. 
Mm -hmm. Well, how does that relate to all the other things that we have going on at work is one, it's an employee to leader relationship. Number Mm -hmm. one, my leader probably has said some things that leans me to believe if my kid interrupts, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right. So we have a low quality of leader to employee relationships happening. So interpersonal relationships is a realm of emotional intelligence. We would want to really strengthen the capacity of our leaders and employees to have super high quality relationships because all of the research, which, you know, I don't like to do, but I love reading (laughs) (laughs) says over the last almost decade, the number one reason why employees leave is because they have a crap relationship with their manager. They leave because of their manager. Yeah. That relationship. So so we need to have really strong relationships, which means we need to have leaders who care about people. We need to have leaders who are in that job because they really do care about like leading people. Yeah. Wow. What, yeah. What better way to like, kind of like, I don't want to say conclude, but like, that's, that's such a great landing point. Like we need leaders who really care about people and, and that all, uh, I mean, it, it, not not just caring about people, well, caring about people is going to be, um, the catalyst for, for their growth and for, the organization's growth and for just the continuation of, of moving forward and, and, and accomplishing our mission as, as an organization, no matter what that mission is, right? It's, yeah. it's really all about people. Even for a leader to speak up and say to their leader or say to their CEO or the president, we have to stop. My people yeah. are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just as important as saying, come on, people, we could do it. Yeah, you can right. do it. And then right. coming along is me also standing up and defending them when I know that they are struggling because I know them well enough to know that they're struggling and nothing we're doing is helping, which means yeah. it isn't us. Mm-hmm. It's what's happening up here. And mm-hmm. I have to advocate for my people as much as I want to coach them to be resilient and capable and have all of these skills. We also have to know our limit. Well, it kind of goes back to that point you were talking about. We can't go uphill all the time, right? I mean, we have to we have to be able to plateau. We have to be able to kind of crest that hill, and 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 start to kind of coast down the other side, and really be able to integrate all of those things that we've taken and learned. And so, um, yeah, I, I think well, and 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 I think that's such a great point of of growth is not just the hey being in the discomfort zone, but it's also okay. I can let the let the um, tension mm-hmm. reduce a little mm-hmm. bit, and I can kind of coast—not coast, but just reduced tension. Maybe I'm going a little bit faster now. I'm coming down the backside of that hill, and I'm I'm putting into place everything that I've learned going up the hill. All of the all of the sweat, all of the hard, you know, fast pumping um, heart rate. Now I can let my heart rate come back down a little bit, and and we need leaders to be able to, to say, Hey, wait, time out. This is, this is where we've got to stop. Um, well, I should say, let me rephrase that. This is where we not necessarily stop. This is where we, we need to, you know, kind of let things settle in or fall into place. Right. Yeah. We need to stop pedaling for a minute. Yeah. Let let people have some lunch and a nap. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Lunch and a nap. I love it. <laughs> and then they'll be ready to pedal hard again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is I, this is such a great conversation. There's a whole bunch of things I, I'm thinking about where we could go, but um, re, you know, recognizing that we've been talking for a little bit of time now, 
Um, what are some what are some just suggestions that you have that you typically tell organizational leaders about their their growth and and is maybe specifically around emotional intelligence and 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 really how that impacts um, the organization and like what somebody comes to you and says hey you know our company is really just like dysfunctional right now where do you go like what do you what are like what's the one two or three things that you you know tell them to start with or you help them with one is personal responsibility so if you're the big kahuna in the yeah. ivory tower, yeah. personal responsibility that you led us here. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is super important because they are the one who will lead us out. Yeah, right. And that responsibility requires a deep commitment to their own shifting. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if they don't shift, you can do emotional intelligence for every employee. If the one at the top doesn't have it, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah. So the hyper attention to the leadership at the highest levels and then every level that's part of that organization must integrate the emotional intelligence behaviors. All of our processes, all of our procedures, it has to be a full integration. It can't be a flavor of the month because yeah, that yeah. doesn't impact change. As no. pretty much we know nothing that is a flavor of the month will have longevity right. impacting change. Right. So it isn't easy work. It's a commitment to, you know, maybe a small company of less than a hundred people could commit to eight months of integration of the work. And then they'll be off and running in a very good direction as long as they carry on with it. But when you're looking yeah. at medium to large size, size companies, you're looking at 12, 18, 24 months of a commitment to shifting how we behave culturally in our emotional intelligence, and then being mm -hmm. able to integrate that everywhere. So the first thing we do is ownership, personal responsibility yeah. by the leaders, because they're the ones who are going to lead us out. They will have mm -hmm. to lead by example. Yeah. And then the second part of that is uh, recognizing our blind spots. Mm. That in a company, how other people experience us is different than how we think we're being experienced. Yeah. And so huge. assessing emotional intelligence, mm. not just as individuals, but as a company. Like you can assess a group of people and you can line them all up to say, you know, John is, is at 102, which is a mid range in his emotional self-awareness. And, and John is a VP of finance. Great mm -hmm. for John, but John's at the top end. Mm. Everybody else is under 80 low uh. proficiencies in emotional self-awareness. So we have one of 5,000 people who has a moderate range of emotional self-awareness. Yeah. So by assessing, we get to take a look at across the organization, where are people sitting in which departments are they sitting? Mm -hmm. So do we have the right people in the right departments doing the right sort of things? And mm -hmm. how do we expand now their emotional intelligence skill set to get everybody above the mean? Yeah. yeah. We need everybody above the average. Uh because emotional intelligence doesn't balance itself out in an organization. Mm -hmm. Someone with low emotional intelligence is a bad apple. And when mm -hmm. it's in a bushel, it spoils everybody. Everything. Yeah. That's a it great does. analogy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we can't have people below mm -hmm. the mean when we do. Oftentimes we want to just work on their emotional intelligence, but we really mm -hmm. have to work on everyone's. Everybody's. And then yeah. people who don't, 
grow with the company in this EQ skill development, you send them off, you free up their future, yeah. <laughs> find them, find them something else to do. Find it, find them a new home. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, that's so, I, I think those are really two great um, takeaways is to have, you know, just some um, personal responsibility and then taking an assessment of, of our organization and where, where we are finding our blind spots. Um, I, I think that that's really important for leaders of, of all ranks to be able to find where are we strong, but also where can we improve? And, and that assessment is, is really a, a, a key component of that. Um, gosh, Teresa, this is a, a great conversation. And I'm, I'm really, uh, you brought up some really good points about not just growth in general and, and emotional intelligence, but I think organizational development and organizational growth as, uh, as a whole. And I think that um, emotion, like you said, emotional intelligence is only one part of it. It's only one component. It's foundational, but it's only one component. Um, how do people um, reach out to you? How do they find you? How do they engage more with you uh, if they want to, to reach out to you? So my website is probably the best spot because that's where you can like find everything else about me. Yeah. And it's iqeqtq.com. And then if you like nuggets of emotional intelligence and leadership stuff every day, LinkedIn is a great place to follow me because I'm, I post content yeah. most days of the week. Yeah. And I can attest, uh, Teresa's got great tidbits, tips, all kinds of great content. Go follow her on LinkedIn. Um, give your website again, IQ. EQ. EQ. TQ.com. I love it. I love it. IQEQTQ for Teresa Quinlan.com. <laughs> uh, Teresa, thank you so much for, for, for sharing time with us uh, here today, sharing your story, um, sharing some of your, your own personal growth and your own development, and, and just your thoughts on, on, on how we as a, as a culture, as a business community, and as leaders, we can all grow. Because I mean, that's really what this is, this is all about. So thank you. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, David. You asked some pretty awesome questions that allowed me to dig in. Yeah, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm so excited. Well, I'm, I'm always fascinated. And, and as we said earlier, we always have a party when we're together. So it's always fun. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for engaging. I really appreciate it. Wow. What a fantastic conversation. You know, Teresa is such an amazing leader and she had so many great uh, illustrations. And I think that one of the things that I just wanted to recap that I wanted to make sure that you caught because it it really resonated with me during our conversation and even as I listened back through it, uh, she talked about having our growth is kind of like going uphill on a bike, biking uphill. And for those of you who have done that, you know that you just can't wait to get to the top of the hill. I remember the first time I got out on my bike when I moved to Pennsylvania and coming from Indiana, which was extremely flat, the first time I hit a hill here in, in, in Pennsylvania, I, I couldn't wait for the top to come. As a matter of fact, I came to what I thought was the top, and it was really a false flat. And um, she, she, she really used an, that, that illustration well, because as, as people and as organizations, 
we need to be able to have some time where we can coast once we get to the top of the hill and and actually even maybe just slow down and, and, and let the things that we've learned going up that hill settle in and, and really take root. So I love that illustration. The other thing that I really thought was amazing um, and, and some points that she made towards the end of our conversation was really related to emotional intelligence and how that fits into company growth and the foundation for company growth. And I, I think it's just really uh, important to note that it's really the personal responsibility of the leader, the leader of the organization, that they are themselves really engaging with emotional intelligence and growing their own emotional intelligence, as well as making sure that the highest level of leadership in the organization is really keeping an eye on their collective emotional intelligence. And and in that process, then recognizing and finding their blind spots, because that's what helps that organization to grow. I really enjoyed this conversation with Teresa, and I hope you did too. It's always great to be able to learn from people's journeys and learn from uh, their their own experience so that we can put these things into practice ourselves. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. I know that we've got some amazing leaders coming up. We actually have a fighter pilot who went to Top Gun um, coming up, and, and I just can't wait for that conversation. And I know that uh, next week we have uh, the undercover millennial. And that's all I'm going to say about that for right now. Uh, but you need to make sure that you tune in next week. So thanks so much for listening. And until next time, remain in the growth space and be well. Be well.